previously mentioned, um, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Service, service. So wherever you are uh, in your recovery, uh, find a way to to help. If there's nothing recovery related, uh, do something every day uh, to be of service to your community. The most powerful way is to do one act of random, like random act of kindness for a stranger and better if they don't even know about it. So every morning I carry a plastic bag in my jacket pocket or my pocket when I walk my daughter to school. And if it's not too funky, we pick up the trash and put it into the little bag. And I know not only model to her, uh, you know, good being a good citizen, just basics, but it's just another thing to keep me out of my own fucking head. So you serve to get rid of that urge. That's all you got to do. There's no better defense and there's no better life. That was Stephen Galatiato, and this is The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Share Podcast, and today we have Stephen Galatiato joining us on the show. And Stephen is a huge advocate for recovery. He's a very active member of the Share Recovery Network on Facebook. He also has his own sobriety platform called Serene and Sober. He's super active in the recovery community, and he's very passionate about helping others. But just like so many of us, he's got a story filled with chaos and mayhem from his addiction. Sometimes the smarter we are and the more talented we are, the more damage we do to ourselves and to our family. So let's dive into Stephen's story. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Hi there, I'm Omar Pinto, the host of The Share Podcast. And recently, I have launched ShareSpace to help even more people. ShareSpace is a recovery life coaching community that offers one-on-one coaching as well as group coaching that goes well beyond recovery. When I was newly sober, I was a train wreck. My life was a mess. I said yes to all the wrong people because I had lost the confidence and belief in myself. If you feel like your inner compass is out of whack, ShareSpace can help. When I got clean, I had to rebuild my relationships, redefine my personal goals, and most of all, regain trust in myself. I've made a career out of helping people just like me. So do me just one favor. Check out the website, www.sharespace.net. Look around and see if you can relate. Then do yourself a favor. Schedule a free consultation with me today. ShareSpace, it's time to believe in yourself again. And for those of you that are looking for the perfect recovery gift to give to yourself or to a friend in recovery, then go to www.allrecoveryrings.com. At All Recovery Rings, you can have any recovery medallion beautifully transformed into a ring you can wear on your finger. All you need to do is select the medallion of your choice, submit your ring size, and All Recovery Rings will create the perfect ring for you. So go to www.allrecoveryrings.com and order your recovery ring today. And if you'd like to support the Share Podcast by making a donation, then go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R. Go to the top right corner of the website where it says donate or click on any of the yellow donate buttons throughout the website and make your donation today. And for those of you who love listening to the Share Podcast, 
and want to enhance your recovery, then join us in our Share Facebook private group, the Share Recovery Network. In this free Facebook private group, you will meet thousands of people in recovery that are loving, caring, and being of service. If you're struggling in your recovery or you're struggling in life, then this might be the perfect place for you. The purpose of the Share Recovery Network is to discuss recovery in all of its facets and all of its pathways in a way that is attractive and all-inclusive. So to join us in this Facebook private group, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R Recovery Network, and our private Facebook group will pop right up. So join us today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thanks for having me. I am excited to have you on the show, buddy. How you feeling? I'm feeling present, you know, energized. I'm here, man. How about yourself? I'm, I'm right there with you, buddy. I am. I am present. Looking good. <laughs> try, trying to kind of, trying to keep it. I'm a little bit tan. This I got a little sun today. <laughs> okay. Yeah, looking good there with the tan. Man. All right, all right. I can dig it. I, I can see you got the you got the sweater going on. Is it cold over there? It's freezing, man. It's freezing. But, you know, I like it because it just keeps me present. <laughs> it just keeps me right in the moment, just freezing my ass off. It's just a good experience. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you look, you look yeah. like you're ready. All right, so let's rock and roll. All right, folks, today we have Steven Galatiotto. Yes, grazie. I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it all. He's joining us today on the Share Podcast. And uh, it's funny, Steve and I, we met on... Uh, I give uh, uh, my props out to to, to Larry Hagner over at uh, the Good Dad Project. Um, he introduced us, um, and we've been tight ever since. Stephen also joined us in the in the Share Facebook private network. And Stephen lives in Japan and owns his own English school. Uh, he's also in recovery. Recently launched his own recovery platform, Serene and Sober. Yes, he is a very gifted artist and musician. I have seen him play. And uh, he's very active in the Share Recovery Network and is here to share experience, strength, and hope with us today. Steve, that sound about right? That's, that's right on, man. That's All right, right on. All right. So let's yes, do this. Thank you. All right. So, so Steve, before we start getting into your uh, journey into recovery, tell us a little bit about how you handle your day-to-day activities. What do you normally do on a daily basis, including recovery? Well, I wake up around 5.30. I got my routine up here and right in front of me. So I'm just going to, you want the whole enchilada, <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, I love routine, man. I love, the, I love this question, by the way. It's one of my favorite questions on the podcast that attracted me to the share, but I'm up pretty early around five 30. Um, after I hit the head, I'm, I'm straight back into my bed and I do about 300 sit-ups. Um, and the reason is because right after I do that, I go straight into prayer and meditation. I like to get into the body because if I, if I don't do that, like many people, the mind is on, you know, it's just sort of going. But when I get just straight into the body, no matter if I feel like it or not, I do 300, you know, 
crunches, whatever sit-ups, go straight into um, the prayer on page 63, or if anybody knows the step three prayer, uh, just get right uh, with prayer. Meditate for another five to 10 minutes. Hydrate the hell out of myself. Like I get like a half a liter of water and then go back to the body again with exercise. Uh, after that, I come up to my home office where I'm currently at and just sort of review my kind of do some affirmations, do some journaling. Uh, when I journal, I write down just three things I'm grateful for. I write down my uh, my task for the day. And after that, I got my body, my mind, my spirit set. I wake my kids up, my two babies. My son is seven. My daughter is five. And my wife, who's Japanese. Um, and I make breakfast for everybody, get them out the door. And any from the late morning through the early evening, I'm teaching English uh, at Bill Free English School, <laughs> if anybody cares, yeah, here in Nagoya. I've owned this school for the last six years, so I can set my own schedule. Uh, in terms of recovery, I'm, as you said, very active in the in my own group, Serene and Sober. I do Recently, I've been doing uh, Facebook Lives uh, every day, which has been a great challenge um, to just sort of get out of my comfort zone, connect more personally. I also interact with a lot of people and share the share group. I currently have a couple of sponsees uh, here in Nagoya that I work with at least once a week. And I touch base with my sponsor every Saturday. And here's the, in terms of recovery in Nagoya, here's the, here's the funny thing. And this is going to trip people out. There's only two English speaking meetings here in Nagoya, Japan. Only two. And one of them is something that I started a few years ago. So there's, uh, there are, I mean, there's not a lot of, I mean, in LA or, you know, anywhere else in the world, you got like, you got a, a meeting every minute, right? But here uh, we have the Saturday, we have a Saturday uh, big book study, which I, I usually chair. And then Sunday we have a bigger group, which is a discussion group. So that's sort of my day-to-day. -day. Obviously I, I blog at Serene and Sober and I'm, um, uh, every day, at least 10 minutes, um, maybe 10 to 30 minutes, I write, uh, work on my book, my, uh, my first book or ebook <laughs> self-publishing foray. So that's my life Dude, in a nutshell. Good yeah. Lord. I thought <laughs> I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, oh, the, the funny thing is with routine and ritual, like, I, all my friends say like, well, I, I can't do with the whole ritual routine thing. I, I need more freedom, but you know, the way I see it, and I don't know where I heard this, but w having a routine or ritual creates more freedom to be spontaneous, to be more present. And I use the word present already three times in this interview, but that's sort of my, that's sort of my, the theme, I guess that's evolving here. But I heard this on a a podcast. I don't know from who, but it's it's just perfect. Imagine that. Oh, you and I are on top of a really tall building, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna play one on one basketball. But there are no fences or walls to prevent us from falling off the building. Now, are you gonna go balls out? You know, go all out, or you're gonna play a little more careful? You're gonna be constantly in fear. Now, in the same situation, imagine that the tall building with a fence and a, and a or a board or whatever. We're not going to worry. We're going to be able to play our, our heart out and just go for it. So for me, routine or rituals 
do the same thing for me in my daily life to give me presence, to give me a space or that margin to, to be spontaneous and to do things like do a podcast, right? Like I had this extra time. So that's, that's why I really love that question and that just having rituals or a routine. So you're doing Facebook lives every single day. All right. Tell me a little bit about uh, what's the purpose of those. Well, the internal purpose is, uh, I, I was dreading it a little bit. I was a little scared, a little nervous to connect, you know, personally with the audience. So for me, it's just a personal challenge just to do it. Uh, the second thing is I'm going to be creating more videos on, on YouTube. So I'm going to be using some of this content just to upload uh, to YouTube. Uh, and it's just a great way to connect personally with, with everybody. And, you know, for, for my mom, I got to mention her. She, she's, I can't wait to listen to this. I got to say, Hey ma, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just to, can, I have a lot of family in there and just to like show them what's going on. Cause I'm in Japan, you know? So just want to stay connected with my, my friends and family back home. Um, just by doing this live thing. So lots of, lots of reasons to do it. You know, so I, that's why I decided. Hey mom. So I'll give you, I give, hey. you, give you a shout out to Steve's mom. <laughs> yeah. I call her Ma. Hey, Olga. <laughs> her name's Olga. Yeah. Hey, hey Olga. Ma. <laughs> hey, Ma. <laughs> yeah. She's my number one fan. You know how it goes. <laughs> I, do. I do. I do. Uh, yeah. No, the reason why I ask about the, the Facebook lives is because, yeah, uh, one of my coaches is always poached. He's pushing me to do the Facebook lives. And it's one of the things that I'm most uncomfortable with. It's the thing I feel the most vulnerable with. It's the most uncomfortable. I'm not editing it. You know, uh, when I do podcasts, it's something that I control, right? I, I can edit. And it's something that, you know, it, it it's, again, it's within my control. So the Facebook lives are just, you're just, it's going, right? It's balls to the wall. Yes. And whatever comes out, comes out. <laughs> right? That's right. So uh, how long have you been doing this? The Facebook Lives. Uh huh. Since last week. Okay. All right. So, so. Just since last week. Anything in particular uh, that you feel like has changed in you since you started doing those, or is it too soon to tell? Well, definitely after the first few days, uh, much more comfortable just speaking mm. to somebody. Because whenever I create content or when I, when I do a live, I'm really just, I'm thinking about some of my, my brothers and sisters, some that are still out, some that are coming in and going out. And I remember my core mission here um, at, at Serene and Sober, which is basically self-improvement for sober people. And, and, and that's just, just to serve and to help. And when I focus on that, and even now as I speak, I'm taking extra breaths just to stay present and remember, why am I doing this? I want, that, I want the, the man or the woman hearing this today uh, when they hear my story, but more importantly, the, the strategies or the things that I I share to to make a change today. So that that's what Facebook Lives do. That's what this podcast does. Makes uh, creates an instant change in somebody's life. A little pivot can just create a huge difference. No, oh, I love that. I love that, and it, it helps me too because it helps me come break out of my shell a little bit more. You know, I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm definitely struggling on that aspect, right, with the Facebook Lives, and I see more and more of it. And I was doing it for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I love the encouragement. Like I, I kind of, I'm asking 
for me, you know what I mean? Trying to trying to feed off your energy, man, because it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of guts to do what you're doing, and and uh, I applaud you for that. You know, thank uh, you. What we do is courageous, you know. Um, so so tell me a little bit more about. And you know, we we went into the the daily routine, uh, but the other question I like to ask too is how we maintain our spiritual condition, that conscious contact with a higher power. You know, what is it your special you know, recipe for that. Prayer meditation is my spiritual road work. It's the thing that I do every day to start and end my day. But from moment to moment, it's conscious presence. It's the term that I first heard from Eckhart Tolle, the power of now. Many people know about this. Conscious presence is is consciousness without thought. I'm I'm not walking around like a zombie. Uh, What I mean is, and what what the many spiritual teachings and Buddha, Jesus, they all teach us the same thing is conscious presence is to simply experience every moment to live life in the moment. Thought is necessary at times. I refer to professor past to learn lessons. I plan the future with a pencil, but I don't do it on when my head's on the pillow or when I'm washing my hands or brushing my teeth, which are things which are usually a means to an end, right? You're brushing your teeth. You're thinking about, Oh, I got to do this podcast with Oh, and I admit, I, I was rehearsing some of these responses, and I had to bring myself back and say, stop it. The, inter- the interview's not until later, dude. And <laughs> and so, oh, and so one thing I'd like to share uh, with you guys is um, many people who have read The Power of Now or his more recent book, A New Earth, Eckhart Tolle, um, or anything by Alan Watts, is an acronym that I came up with. And I am an acronym freak. When I when I read books or when I consume any content, I'm trying to you know figure out a way to, to remember it so I can bring it into my daily life. As you say, how do you maintain your conscious contact with this higher power? I, I call it God or my my just an awareness, the presence of 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 the moment. And that's for the acronym awake. Awake. A is attached to nothing. W is watch your thoughts. The second A is accept or change, a.k.a. serenity prayer. K is kill the past and future. And E is enter the present moment as often as possible. So the first four, attach to nothing, watch your thoughts, accept or change any situation, and kill the past and future are generally spiritual directives that all teachings, in, across all religions, across all spiritual teachings, that are just truths. I mean, these are truths, right? Attachment is at the root of all suffering as I've heard you mention yourself. So I am a, I am a father. I am a, a teacher. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight toker. I gotta go into Steve Miller. I always do that when I do what I share with people, but I, I don't attach too tightly to that because in the absence of ego is the presence of God. That is where God lives is in this moment. So when I breathe, and even as I speak now, I breathe much more often now, I, I find that I am truly who I am and, and, and able to be of service. I watch my thoughts, you know, that's where the, if anybody who does the 10th step, um, be con- continue to watch for these defects that crop up. And that's just a simple truth. Um, accept or change the situation. Uh, we often opt for the third option, which is to complain or worry about it, but that's actually not doing anybody any good. So I literally just have to go straight into Okay, after I get over my little pity party, I give myself five minutes, you know, depending on the magnitude of the situation, I accept it, 
or I change it. Or if it's something I plan to change, I accept it for the moment. And then I, I set a date. Okay, I'm going to fix this shit later. I kill the past and the future, not to say that I forget it and, and fuck the future and all this. The opposite is I refer to it. I call it professor past. Like now I'm going to refer to my past to, to relate to other people who are listening. And I, again, I don't live in the future. I plan it. I, I love setting goals. I love having these dreams and aspirations, but, but only with a pencil. And when I find myself walking down the street, you know, projecting or, making plans I, I come back to the moment which is the final directive e enter the present moment as often possible as often as possible uh, for me it's breath body sensory perception so it, at any moment when i find myself not in the moment i uh i i i, I think of three senses i look at something look at a bird uh, listen to the sounds and without labels as well so this is sort of your meditation on the go and for me, it's in just in the last few months, after launching Serene and Sober, after really, really coming close, closer to God and to presence, this is what I've been doing, awake. So that's that's a whole other podcast in itself. Dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing I love most about doing the podcast and, you know, asking these opening questions and connecting with people right, is the insight and the wisdom that they have over the years, the things that you have, you know, the, 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 the journey has taken you through so many different, uh, to so many different places, and then you bring that wisdom here, right, and it's amazing because, you know, once we go into the story, you know, it's amazing, it's amazing that, you know, we have come to where we are at, and sometimes when we're so early in, in recovery, which I have, and we notice in the group, in the private Facebook group, so much relapse, so much fear, so much apprehension to change, right? But when you listen to someone who, how much, uh, how much clean time do you have, Steve? Uh, well, actually, my, my uh, little slip, I call it the blip, was last year on March 4th. Uh, I was coming up on three years, um, but uh, when I tell my story later, I'll I'll share that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, we'll, so we'll go March, on. yeah, March, uh, March fourth of uh, 2017. I had a a little slip, a little blip on the radar, but uh, <laughs> I came back even stronger, and um, and I'll share more about that. The important thing is the important thing to the the, the important takeaway is is that in reality, right? There's that three years, whatever, right? There's yeah. the blip. There's four years, right, of learning and growing, of changing, right, of, of bringing yeah, all, t taking on all these spiritual principles, becoming a different human being, right? Um, yes. And and that idea of being present, you know, um, one of the things that I, I, I focus on a lot or when I'm coaching someone is <clears throat> the idea of, I like what you said here, I'm able to be who I am. I am able to be who I truly am. And so that authenticity is such a key here, right, in everybody's lives, because we're so preoccupied with what everybody else is doing, looking outside of ourselves, comparing ourselves to other people, right, instead of living and seeking our true purpose, seeking to be as authentic as we can be. And in that work comes the relief and the release, right, of what we were talking about here, that attachment where, where where that suffering begins, you know what I'm saying? Um, so so for those that are listening, right, the conversation that we're having right now, I know exactly where Steve's coming from. 
I know exactly what he's talking about. I can feel him, right? We live in this, we're in the same universe. We reside in the same realm, right? Um, and here, and we're talking about two guys that were in the streets doing drugs, you know, gunning, running, wreaking havoc, destroying people's lives and almost killing ourselves, right? And today we come from a completely authentic spiritual perspective. Um, and that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. You know, so so as we move into the the past a little bit, uh, tell us now that we know your your clean date. Uh, tell us a little bit about the first time you drank or used drugs, and then how did that make you feel? I was twelve years old. It was the summer before I started junior high school. It was in Hawthorne. My pops was uh, working on his Volvo like he always did, a.k.a. drinking. <laughs> and uh, he was working on a piece of shit forever. He just he just went out there and put his hands in the hood. I don't know what he was doing, but it was one of those proverbial, you know, share a beer, a beer with your son kind of moment. He's like, hey, come here. And and I I wander over there and uh, and he, he cracks open a Tecate. I remember the brand. I remember the song on the radio was uh, Don't Walk Away, Renee. I cannot forget that. Don't walk away. I mean, this is a pure snapshot. Oh, I don't remember when I first ate green beans or ice cream, but I remember my first beer. <laughs> you know, Many people say that you remember your first drink, but you don't remember other things. And I took I had the beer. And. All of the hypersensitive, hypervigilant, nervous, anxiousness that I was born with, or perhaps part of what I grew up with, just in a way gave me more presence. I, I for the first moment, colors were vivid. I, I took deeper breaths. And you know what? I took the rest of that six pack when he had his head back in the hood of that car and I took it up to the roof of the of that house and I I I slammed it all and I got drunk the very first time jokingly my brothers when I came down and started throwing the cans away my brother who my younger brother he who has no idea about alcoholism he's like you're an alcoholic and I'm like I what you know and I was stumbling around and it just, it was the first spiritual experience I ever had. It, it saved, it gave me a glimpse of what, what, of, of what could be for sure. So it gave me that presence. Some people call it just made me feel right. Made me feel cool. I just gave me that. It made me feel like I, I feel now minus the alcohol. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> there is that inexplicable, that there is that feeling of ease and comfort and you can yes. label it however you, you want. But the truth is, for many of us, at least for me, all that self, that low self-esteem, the low self-worth, the fear, the insecurity, it was gone. Which means instead of thinking about what was wrong with me, all, right, all of a sudden, I'm just thinking about, damn, I feel good. And yeah. that, that allows you to be present. So I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> and it's like this. It's like, a, I mean, if I, if I take... The, the, the first step, if you look at the words in any, in the 12 step fellowships, you know, um, I could admit for the first time in my life that I was powerful with alcohol, that my life had become manageable with that drink. My, my emotions internally had become manageable. And though I did not drink after that for a while after I had a glimpse of, well, this is something I can rely on later. That is for sure. So now you've mentioned like prior to the interview, before I press record, you mentioned Torrance. 
Now you mentioned Hawthorne. I'm from Los Angeles. These yeah. are some dodgy areas. Yeah. <laughs> 165th and Hawthorne, go check it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not really bad, but yeah, they're, I mean, my, my pops, uh, when I get into the story, he, he moved around a lot. Uh, so we were all over LA, Long Beach and, and Lakewood and all, all different places. So, Dude, I love it. I love it. It's, good. it's taking me down memory lane. I'm from California. Yeah. Oh, let's it, go back. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Professor so, past. yeah. So, Stephen, uh, Steve, uh, it's time for you to share your story. Uh, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Steve, take it away. Thanks, so. Whenever I share my story, uh, whether it's a speaker meeting or with a newcomer or if it's a 12-step, it's sort of a four-part story for me. And I guess it might look like four parts for a lot of other people. It's the it's that power discovered, right? Like I just talked about, that first power I discovered. There's the power struggle. There's the powerless. And then there's the new power that I sit with today. So before that first drink in, in Hawthorne, California, when I was 12, uh, you know, my, my mom, she's from Northern Italy. She, she came to the States from Italy, uh, from Northern Italy in the seventies. My pops, my father's side are full-blooded Sicilians. So that's enough to fuck anybody up for a lifetime. <laughs> if, anybody knows, if anybody knows Italians and uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mom, I'm just joking. But you know, that's like, that's just like a, an interesting combination. My father's side uh, got the gene, uh, lots of uh, addiction uh, issues on that side of the family. My mom's side, uh, not so much. My earliest memories are those uh, red and blue lights. Um, some weekends when my father would come home and the police would uh, would be there after one of his benders. And he's all good now, but uh, this is just part of my story. And it, though it did not cause me to become alcoholic, it did contribute to that extra hypersensitive, hypervigilant self that uh, that I was born with and I would hide my brothers in the, in the closet and, uh, sing to them little, you know, songs and things. They were, they were young. And I, I told myself, you know, they're scared. I'm going to take care of them. But it was actually, I was the one who was aware because, you know, I was what, four, five, and my brothers were three and two. My, they just went one, two, three with our, with my brothers, you know, my, my, my mom is just like, boom, you know, I'm five, four, three. <laughs> so, She's, uh, she was really strong and they ended up divor divorcing, needless to say, when I was about yeah, four or five. So I had two Christmas trees growing up, uh, two different households. It was a really interesting combination. Um, my mom, who remarried later when I was seven, married a really stable, typical, average guy, he had a stable job, The op sort of the opposite of my pops, you know, who who had his own issues with um, drugs and alcohol. And so I would, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, and every other weekend, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at pop's house. And then Monday and Wednesday, every other weekend with mom. So I, between these two worlds, it's very different, two different worlds. And it's when I started to really construct different roles, I would often have to protect my father when my mom would ask me, was he uh, drinking? Did you see anything, you know, and was he doing anything weird or whatever? And from a very early age, I knew what cocaine was. I knew 
what it meant to shoot up. Um, I just, I had that awareness from a very early, uh, early age. And so I was just aware, just super sensitive. I, you know, to this day, I'm, I'm always very sensitive. I can see, I look at, around a room and I, I can feel how everybody's feeling. And it wasn't until that drink and I was 12 when I really detached and had that spiritual experience with that Tecate beer. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tecate, oh my gosh. But uh, so middle school and, and high school, I, I put on 50 pounds of muscle. I, I started lifting and I, I joined the marching band. I became drum captain. I got pretty good grades. Uh, throughout high school, once in a while, at a party, there was there was drink and there was there was weed, but it it was never an issue. I, I graduated with with honors, went to university out in Irvine, um, and that's where the part two of the story starts. That's the power struggle. So chapter two, <laughs> power struggle. Uh, I, I did maintain pretty good grades in college. I, I majored in film and media studies for some reason. I, I don't know. Uh, and uh, I, I did really well during the week. I continued lifting and powerlifting and whatever, bodybuilding. I, I loved working on myself physically and I had a part-time job, really good job. And then Friday night would roll around and it was the, that's when I became that, you know, so-called weekend warrior. I would plan out essentially a, a bender. I mean, you heard my routine in, in the beginning of this interview. I'm very regimented. Even when I was actively drinking, I, I would write shit down like, okay, uh, 12 Coronas. Um, I might need a bottle. You know, I, I would plan it out. And Sunday morning or, or Monday morning, my roommates, I, I lived with three other, um, three other guys they would have a house meeting, which just meant AKA Steve fucked up and they wanted to talk to me about something. There's so many stories though in college, but I realized that I had possibly had a problem and that I got my, the gene from my father's side when I had my first blackout. And so I'm going to share one story from college, which illustrates the progression of this disease. It was Halloween night. My buddy, he's a, he got out of the Marines. He was in the Marines. Yeah, my my best buddy, uh, Jesse. He won't mind if I say his name. He doesn't. I don't think he listens to this. But uh, Jesse, my partner in crime. So he comes over. So he, he wore for Halloween. He wore a his uniform, his Marine uniform, right? He, yeah, that's what that was. What he wore. He was a Marine, but he wore a Marine uniform. I uh, already drunk by the time he arrived. I decided to be the Hulk because I was such a massive beast. And I had these purple, you know, the purple sweatpants and I had somebody, I, I forget who, just paint my body green. So I was just, just sweating and it was, I was, you know, because I was drinking, was sweating. So it was just disgusting. Now I'm going to do this hangover style. So the next morning, November 1st, the day after Halloween, I wake up, my buddy's gone. There are other bodies around the room, not dead bodies, but they're all, you know, lifeless bodies. I wake up in the kitchen floor with cornflakes. I don't know why I love cornflakes when I'm <laughs> dry. I just love eating cereal. Like I love cereal, you know, after <laughs> drinking, I wake up. Oh, and 
no recollection, but then, you know, little glimpses start coming back, you know, and, and I look around and he's gone just at that moment. I get a call. He's, he's been arrested and, uh, but it's him. And so he calls me, it's not collect. So I know, but you're not in jail. Yeah. yeah they let me go. You don't remember what happened. Apparently Halloween night at some point, he and I got in his truck both completely drunk, high, right? And we were both smoking weed, drinking. We decided to drive to West Hollywood. We wanted to, I don't know why, say, let's go to WeHo. It was just a weird thing, you know? Like, you know what goes on in West Hollywood, right? Um, so apparently we got into multiple car accidents. He, and here's the thing, not moving cars, but we got off the freeway because we saw a cop. And apparently this is all from him. I don't remember anything. He crashed into several parked cars in this neighborhood um, off the uh, 91 freeway. Um, I'm just saying 91 because I know you know you're from I, LA. I, but I know the yeah. I think it was uh, I, I shit. I think it was um, uh, Fullerton or something like. And anyways, we crashed into multiple cars. The the cops came. At that point, I was passed out, so they thought I was injured. But I came to and and. Uh, they, my, my buddy who was, you know, in a Marine outfit and me in the, as dressed as the Hulk, you know, I mean, it's Halloween, but I mean, it, they're just, these cops are pissed because you're like, you could have killed somebody. And yeah. I remember little echoes of this. They, my buddy resisted and they, they had to slam him on the ground and they fucked up his chin. So apparently I got off, like they said, Hey, just, you know, call a friend. You know, I, I told him I'm a uh, I'm a university student. I'm sorry, whatever. I I got my way out of it. They they messed him up so bad. He was bleeding all over the jail that they said, you know, but just go to a hospital and get out of here. They just let him go. I don't know if they were, if it was some kind of police brutality thing or whatever, but they fucked him up, you know. And um, so they just let him go because he was, you know, bleeding so bad. Jesus. But here's the here, yeah, and here's the crazy thing, though, and this is what still blows my mind today, and I don't know what happened. After I got off the phone with him and started picking up a little bit, I looked up at the ceiling, which is a, one of those 20-foot high ceilings, and there's green paint on the ceiling. Now, I don't see a ladder anywhere. I'm thinking, do I fucking levitate when I drink? I mean, how did my – because that's my paint, <laughs> you know? And there's a handprint. Like, what happened? And I, to this day, I don't know how that paint got my roommate's like – you got paint on the ceiling. I'm like, did I like what? You know? So, so oh, like after that, I mean, I graduated, I, I, I completed school. I did really well. Uh, but there were a few more of those, those uh, blackout adv adventures or whatever episodes. And, uh, but I did end up um, completing school. And after, after college, I did not have a, a clear career path. I thought I was going to be a director or an actor or something, but uh, education and teaching was always in the back of my mind. And I started dating my, my first like Japanese girlfriend. Um, and she was from Japan. She was doing a homestay studying in, in, in uh, Irvine there. And long story short through her, she had a lot of other Japanese families in, Torrance and Irvine, both which are, you know, big Toyota corporation hubs. And she's like, these families need like an English tutor 
And I just started creating my own little English business. Like I went to their house, I talked to some of the kids and and the housewives and the fathers. I, I just taught the families English. And then I decided to focus just on the teaching part. So enter, you know, Japan. So I when I was 23, I came to Japan and I started working at a big English conversation school. And I had my own place for the first time, right? So even in college, I was living with other people. So I had total control of my space. Um, similar to college, every weekend I was that warrior, that, that, uh, that, I don't know, that drunken weekend fool warrior. That you uh-huh. Weekend warrior. And, uh, but for the most part, pretty manageable. Like I, I just had my own thing going on. I, I met my my do wife. S- do you speak she, Japanese? Uh, hi. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, 14, but ba- but yeah. back then, did you speak Japanese? That's a that's a good question. Um, like many foreigners who come here to teach in Korea or Japan, we're we're going straight into work. So I didn't have a lot of free time to dedicate, or I guess energy to dedicate to studying it. So I picked it up pretty naturally. But it's funny you ask because. Uh, just as I was thinking about starting to study it after, gosh, three years of being here. So 2005, I came here. I was 23. 2007 is 2008. My wife walks into one of my classes. Well, I didn't, she wasn't my wife at the time, but I decided she would be. And, and I, she was a beginner. So I decided at that point, I'm going to study Japanese because I, I want to court her and, and so she was the catalyst for my uh, becoming, you know, multilingual or, or bilingual. But um, so I, we got married in a fever, hotter than a pepper. I just went to do a Johnny Cash song, but uh, it was definitely uh, just a, a whirlwind romance. On our second date at a ramen shop, remember we're in Japan, guys, <laughs> at a ramen shop, a ramen is actually a very gourmet food out here so it's one of those high-end ramen shops you know it's buddy really if i nice. was in japan i'd be eating ramen every day oh uh, dude it's it's like gourmet food out here the way they make it it's not top ramen shit but yeah. so our second date she got a glimpse of who i of who i was or who could be i had been sick before a date i, w- I was taking some meds for a cold and uh, started pre-gaming like I I always did. I always do. I pre-game the pre-games, you know. And so by the time she arrived in my apartment to go walk across the street to this ramen shop, I was pretty messed up. Uh, in the ramen shop, we ordered our food. Some construction workers came in and sat down beside behind us. Blackout begins. Uh, what I rec- remember, what she tells me is he accidentally nudged my chair. I got up and Japanese, I started cursing at him, you know, um, if you want to learn a Japanese word, you say, baka, <laughs> this means like fucker or stupid ass or whatever. And I got into a ramen shop brawl. Um, I don't think it was a brawl. I mean, I, one of them, I think one of them got, might've gotten hurt. Uh, I was banned obviously from the ramen shop. I don't remember seeing my wife's face, but the next morning there was a note and it said, Something like, I don't know if this is going to work. Type. I thought, I, I'm, oh my gosh, I lost her, right? But I did what we do, and I, I groveled, and I pleaded, and I begged. And um, we got ended up getting married. And 
and things settled down. You know, the the beast inside me sort of went to sleep for a minute, and she. I got love pregnant. all the I love all the Hulk references. <laughs> yeah, the Hulk and the Beast oh, and the, the presence, man. <laughs> yeah, this is this is naturally evolving into like a spiritual beast beast mode type of uh, situation. Dude, but, uh, I love it. I love it. Go go. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we're still. I mean, I'm still. I'm not struggling, but it's still this phase of my life where when I drink things happen right so when she got pregnant with my boy my baby boy ray ray if you hear this someday papa tried his best all right <laughs> but um ray um who's got two passports right both of my kids got two passports they're nice. they're both american and japanese so when she got pregnant oh i got it in my mind to just stop drinking for nine months like you're gonna be pregnant okay i'm just gonna um there was no pressure from outside there i was not I was not uh, in any physical peril or anything. I just decided, hey, uh, baby, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay sober for nine months, just in case something happens. I want to be present, you know, physically able to take you to the hospital. So I did. My son was born in 2010, uh, February 27th. His birthday's coming up next month, and he'll be eight. But after that, my mom came out. Hey, hey, Ma. Hello, Ma again. And uh, she came out to see the cherry blossoms that, that that same spring, the cherry blossoms in Japan, which are just phenomenal, right? And, yeah. and Ma, she came out here, I think it was uh, late March, early April is when they bloom. And I decided after what, that was 10 or 11 months by then, I decided, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get a six pack. And my wife's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for staying sober for nine months. Like, yeah, go for it. My mom who grew up or well, who experienced, you know, what she did with my pops and, and seen my father's side, she, she said something I'll never forget. She's like, no, you shouldn't, you know? And I'm like, it's just six beers and I'm going to share them with other people. Of course I didn't share them just like that. That when I was a twelve-year-old, I took I took all those tecates. So it was Asahi beers. I got six little silver cans of Asahi beer, and and nothing happened uh, that day. It was a pretty nice nice day, but you know, Doctor Silkworth had was onto something when he talked about that phenomenon of craving. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I was always confused. And, and if anybody who's reading or going to read that that big book, when he talks about the phenomenon of craving. I thought that was when you drink, well, everybody's inhibitions are lowered, right? But for me, it was a craving that might not have been to have more that same night. Like I can go home and go to sleep. I can drink a lot of water and wake up without a hangover. But it was that seed that was planted and there would be a bender in the future. There would be a moment, maybe a week or a month later, and it was all off. So between 2010 to 2000. Let me see my note. I wrote some some notes here, but I think I'm doing all right. But you're doing fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I finished working at that big English conversation school in 2012, and the perfect storm was the spring. It was spring of 2012. My wife was pregnant with my daughter Edina. She's five now. We were moving from an apartment to a house, which a house was across the street. I was opening an English school and my grandfather passed away all in one week. 
So four huge things were going on. My wife and I were setting up this business, this English school. She's pregnant. She's, um, you know, it's, it's already getting pretty warm. And, and then we get news that my, my grandfather passed away. So we had to go back to LA and I took it as an excuse as a, as a green light to just numb it all out. And I don't think I was sober for that entire week of moving, of setting up a business. I mean, it was insane. I mean, you know, the Steelers wheel song stuck in the middle with you, you know, that's just imagine that song. And then think about what I'm saying here, right? That you want to look at it like a movie, but, uh, so here's the f- crazy thing too, since I have my own office after, after everything settled down and, and, uh, <laughs> well, actually the final day I was supposed to, you know, get the keys or give the keys to the apartment manager. I, um, I just posted a blog about this. I, <laughs> I was supposed to simply give the keys and carry one box across the street to our new house, the house where I'm at currently. Apparently I passed out. There were some movers there. They couldn't wake me up. Like they couldn't wake me up. And they put a note on my chest said, tried to wake you. The keys are on the, whatever your, we put your keys there and uh, good luck or whatever. So my <laughs> wife is calling me and I wake up in this apartment. It's all empty. Oh, and I got this glimpse of, Oh shit. It's one of those little, again, those, those things where you step back and see your life. This is what it could be. You know, this, this is serious. So uh, I settled down again, but between 2012, 2014, I, I went to a couple of um, outpatient detoxes, uh, borderline DTs. At one point I was drinking every day. I was teaching and drinking um, most days. I don't think there was a week during that two year time period before I finally got ended up coming to the rooms that I was truly sober, whether I was drinking or not, I was just a mess. Um, one, Another story to just show the progression of this disease, this sort of almost this powerlessness is I would come home after work, teaching at my own English school. I would, my, my, my wife would, she was still staying home. She wasn't working at that time. She was still on maternity leave. She'd have the kids go to bed early, kiss them goodnight. And I'd cook up big, you know, I have my beer, I have my pork chops, cook up a big dinner. And then I'd watch YouTube videos. Now I know there's somebody listening who's going to relate to this. This is really embarrassing to say, but this is what I did. I would watch generally two types of YouTube videos. <laughs> I'm not a, share this publicly. I think <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I would watch two things, but it really illustrates the, the turmoil and the things that I was going through. One would be soldiers coming home from war, which just soldiers coming home from war on YouTube, you know, when they come back and they surprise their, their yes. mom or their dad, you know, the tearjerker, the tearjerkers, yeah. right? I wanted to cry. Oh, and then the other type, and this is even this is even more fabulous. <laughs> I'm using the word fabulous. Uh, I would, uh, I would watch wedding proposal videos, uh, just surprise proposals, you know, flash mob proposals. Jesus. And oh, it's just insane. I'd be eating pork chops and watching these things and drinking beer and crying. Pork chops, dude. Crying, crying and laughing and smiling and just to feel something. And I wanted to be a hero. 
for my family to to my community. I wanted to have that relationship with my wife that that I was just fucking up with when I was stuffing my face with pork chops downstairs, and that was. That, I mean, that was insane. Whiskey bottles in the garden, hiding things all around the place. I mean, there was a, a time where I had to bring a little whiskey and she was aware of it at this point. We went to a restaurant. I'd have to hide it somewhere in the planters, like near the restroom. So like, I remember, you know, putting one in the planter near the bathroom and, and then the staff would come by and say, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just look admiring the plants here. And, you know, I'd be hiding it there and, so there was the sunrise by accident. That's sort of that moment I had, that sort of moment of clarity where, you know, there was no arrest. There was no, well, there was a lot of medical issues. I, I, I was borderline. Um, I, the doctor said you would get probably have diabetes if you continue this. And he's like, you're drinking, right? I'm like, no, you know, it's in a while. <laughs> but um, there was the sunrise by accident, I call it. And uh, that was the spring of 2014. And I just had that moment of hope. Like I remembered rituals, morning rituals and routines. And I thought like, you know what? If I could just start the day without whiskey, because <laughs> that's how I used to start it, was in the garden. But, you know, I, I buried it. I would be like, it looks like I was gardening if you saw me from the outside. Dude, and I'd wave it. to the neighbors. I wave to the neighbors, you know, and and he'd, you know, running by, oh, ohayo gozaimasu, you know, good morning. And <laughs> take a swig and then bury it. And then, chain smoke and and so uh i finally managed to get to the rooms i i'd been to aa a couple of times before there was only the sunday meeting at that point but uh i got back to that sunday meeting and i it just it took what it took um i opened the big book for the first time i started listening to a lot of youtube speaker tapes um you know youtube aa speakers you know Chris and Sandy and Clancy and all these classic speakers. That was actually what got me really kind of excited, you know, listening to these stories. There was no shared podcast, unfortunately, for me at that point. But if it had been, I definitely would have um, would have listened to that. Um, let me take a breath here. So that was the powerless. And then the new power that came in that, that spring, that summer, when I started working the steps. Um, I work them quickly and thoroughly, the old school way. That's the way I, I, I do it with my, my sponsees. I, I just love getting that, that connection as soon as possible and, and then living in, in 10, 11, and 12 daily and practicing this, this conscious presence moment to moment. I'm taking a breath. Uh, that's, that's pretty much, uh, well, most of it, the Hulk and the, and the, <laughs> the, Hulk and the, the beast and the, the whiskey bottles in the garden. And so, so when we talk, you know, and, and I, I, I can appreciate that, that powerlessness and that gift of desperation and that, you know, that, that sense of, you know, incomprehensible demoralization. You've got two children, you've got a beautiful wife, right? You've got a business, you know, you've got everything that a man could want and you're just crushing it like a can. You know, yeah. um, you get to that point where you just realize I got to stop. And then you've you you made it those three years. Right. So you've got those yeah. the three years. And that and, and so take us a little bit. Right. Because here's the thing. Right. And like I'm from I'm here in Costa Rica. So similar to you uh, at that time, there was only one English speaking meeting. Oh, really? But that English speaking meeting was every single day at noon. 
right? So you could go daily. You just there was just one place that you could go. Um, so yes, it was still not like it is in the states. So then you have to plan around that. You have to prepare for the fact that you can't just go to a meeting, you know, whenever you want. And then for you, it was one day a week. So, yeah. you know, how were you able to maintain that vigilance, right? Especially in that first year. Uh, that, that's, that's just the perfect transition. So, so here's what happened. In the summer of 2014, 2014, I worked the steps and I started another meeting on uh, it was Fridays. It's Saturday now, but it's Fridays at that time. I got this, you know, I got this huge urge to serve. I realized there was not enough once a week, meaning it was not enough. So I started one by the fall of 2014. We, we had a pretty good book study going on, sometimes two, sometimes six. And between 2014 to, uh, yeah, for three years, I just, I sponsored. Um, when I could not sponsor, I was doing something in the community. I was just completely service oriented. Now here's what happened. So um, to rewind for a minute, take a breath. Um, the meeting, the, all the step work and the continuous, you know, routines and rituals led me to st- launch my first blog, which was called early to wiser. It was a personal development blog. It's still on, but I don't maintain it now. It was just personal development. And I was all Tony. I was like the t- little mini Tony Robbins, you know, the Jim Rohn and, and Brian Tra- just the sort of like, I, that's who I wanted to be was that. But um, unfortunately, my business, though sober, though sober and, and you're kicking ass spiritually, I was neglecting my English school business. So finances started to really really suffer in 2016 and by 2017 in February I was looking at minus like my wife was very stressed about this to um of course because you know I was supposed to be the breadwinner here she has a job but I was the one bringing home most of the you know the money and in two, and on February 2nd uh, last year, which is my birthday, my, my birthday is coming up, my, my belly button birthday uh, in a couple of days, February 2nd, my appendix exploded, uh, I fucking erupted. So I almost died because I, for three days, I, I was taking uh, aspirins, which was destroying me even more. So I, on February 2nd, uh, 3rd, and by the 4th, I was, I passed out and then I ended up in a hospital. They had to do emergency surgery and, and I survived, obviously, but um, uh, two weeks I was in the hospital, you know, and I was just, I mean, finances were a mess because I couldn't work. If I don't work, then, you know, I don't have any other teachers. I was the sole teacher. So um, on March 4th, my wife and I got into a really big argument. It was Saturday, March 4th. I just got done teaching my last lesson. And without thinking, without any presence, I went straight to the convenience store and I got a, a really tall chew high. A chew high is just sort of mixed drink. It's like vodka, uh, lemon or vodka, grapefruits, whatever flavors they have. And it was a tall boy and I just chugged it without thinking, right? A- after sponsoring, after running my own meeting, I just went straight to the store and I'm like, fuck her. You know, she's talking about divorce and all this stuff and, and, and fuck it. So I went there, I drank it, I threw it all up, most of it. Just compl- I couldn't even process it. Was it been so long? I was crying. I was spitting up. I tried to drink another one, but it it, it couldn't 
Uh, I couldn't keep it down. Thank God, you know. Uh, my I called my sponsor right away, which is one of those tools I never had before. Called him. Uh, hooked up with another guy in uh, my group, uh, my AA group. He sort of he took me to his house for the night, and the next morning went home and patched things up with with my wife. But you know, it was really a, uh, when she found. I told her too. You know, I I, I drank. I, I didn't metabolize it really. I just threw it up. She didn't care. She's like, you bought it. You know, I can't believe you. And, and so I lost a lot of trust with her at that time, but here's, what's really amazing. Oh, that little blip on the radar led me to really buckle down in the good dad project and led me to the Alliance. And then when Larry hooked me up with you and I saw what you're doing with share and then more, more currently with share space, like that's, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm supposed to do. Like Nagoya and, and Nagoya itself, Nagoya, Japan. Maybe this is what we got to do some more work here. You know, I got to do some more work here. I got to do some more work online. I want to do the personal development stuff that I, I started with early to wiser, but through the lens of, an, of recovery. And that's who I can truly serve. See, the early to wiser blog never took off because it was too general. Right when you try to reach everyone, you don't. You reach no one. So Correct. I'm like, oh, like I saw. Oh, I'm like I started looking at your stuff. And, okay, wait a minute. This is what I'm gonna do. So it. Oh, through God, through presence, through everything, you and through you, the expression that 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 I see through you, I was able to to get back into it and even more connected. So I thank God for that that moment of crisis on March fourth. Um, as another, just another awakening. And of course, relapse and, and slips are, are not supposed to be part of, don't have to be part of your, your journey. But for me, it took, that's just what it was. And I accept that. And though I don't subscribe to clock time as much these days, I will always remember March 4th as, you know, the end of, of something and the beginning of something new. So um, painful endings are usually disguised as, you know, new beginnings. So it does give you that fresh perspective that you need. And, you know, when they say, and, and again, you know, when I, went to, when I went to Minnesota to get certified as a, as a peer recovery specialist, there was a big emphasis yeah. on how we discuss relapse, right? And how some people will say, you know, relapse is part of recovery or relapse is part of the journey or relapse is part, of, almost as though, you know, encouraging this type of behavior, like it's all right. You know, you could just pick up where you left off, right? And it's a fine line between, you know, what that means to you and what that means to someone else. You know, when I had my relapse, when I relapsed uh, five months into sobriety, uh, it wasn't just a blip on the radar. It was a two-month commitment, right, to to just train-wrecking my life again, right? Um, And my takeaway from that uh, was that I lost my pink cloud. Like I had five, I have five beautiful months of being on this recovery pink cloud. And I remember somebody in the rooms had said to me, you know, enjoy it. And like, if you could bottle that up, if you could bottle up that feeling of that pink cloud feeling, you know, and I keep it as long as you can, because it won't last. And I remember going, wow, what a tainted asshole, right? Just that, that was just, that's all I could, that's all I could think. You know what I mean? Like, and, and. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, when I came back from my relapse, I was one angry, 
bitter, miserable prick, right? Uh, I went to the meetings because I had to. Uh, but I was pissed off, right? I wasn't going to get what I wanted. Like I came in for a purpose and it wasn't to get sober and it wasn't to change my life. It was to get my wife back because I'd lost her, mm-hmm. right? And so, so when your motives are not pure, right? When you come in with, 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 with bad motives, then ultimately that's, that's where the, the, you, you're doomed to failure, but from from what I can hear from your story, or from what I can gather from from the relapse, right? You saved yourself from that because it could have been a two month, six month. You know, I've heard guys five years later, right? They yeah. picked up, and five years later, they were still rolling, right? Yeah. There was something about like not being able to take the alcohol, vomiting it up, like that's yeah. that, that's part of the story you can own. You know, yeah. that's part of the story where it's like that was fucking miserable and i'm never doing that again and the the, the, almost the reality of like okay well this is what i've used in the past to soothe myself when i am uncomfortable when i am unhappy i have used this it no longer soothes me it now has turned into something that creates more pain in my life i have to find something else and it allowed you to dive back into what it is that that your true purpose and your true calling is. Um, and I yes. think that anybody that has gone through what you've been through, and you're one of those guys, dude. You know what I mean? How old are you? 35. 35 years old. You've got all your hair. I'm so... <laughs> See, even got the little sideburns, you know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit. You know what I mean? Doesn't look, doesn't look 35. He's in great shape. You know what I mean? Very talented. I've heard John the guitar. You know, I mean, I've I've worked with guys like you in in my in the treatment center where I was at, and I would tell these guys, I go, if you could see yourself the way I see you, if you could see yourself the way others see you, you have so many gifts and so many talents, right? You can sing, you can play. You know, you've got these different attributes. You know, you you could give to the world, and in many cases, maybe maybe that epiphany. Maybe just hearing that from somebody else, not trying to convince myself that I have these gifts, not trying to convince myself that I have this purpose, but hearing somebody say, man, you know, seriously, look at where you're at, look at who you are and, and take those gifts and give it to the world. You know what I mean? Find a way to connect with the world in that way. Um, and, 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 and I thank you. I thank you for, for the compliments. And I thank you for, for, you know, being a part, such an active member of the Share Recovery Network. Um, it's, it's what we do, right? It's, and, and like attracts like. You know, there's a lot of us in that group that are like giving our lives to recovery, right? We're not, we're not anonymous, Right, we're we're as a matter of fact, we're discovering different pathways so that we don't have to be anonymous. So if somebody says, "Hey, aren't you breaking the traditions?" No, because I'm not peddling twelve steps. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. Contrary to popular belief, the world yeah. of recovery does not revolve around twelve steps. That's and, right. And and there's certain people that you know are are scared, right? Because they've connected to the dogma of it. Yes. And so what I want to do and what we're doing, right, and what we're doing here today is we're we're crushing the stigma, we're crushing the dogma, right? We're putting we're we're getting on the front lines and we're saying, "Here I am." Right? Like, uh, what can I do to help? Right? What can I do to help, exactly. right? Um and so I love what you're doing, man. I I absolutely love what you're doing and and I applaud you and you got a beautiful family. I've seen the pictures. You know what Thank I you. mean? 
I really like that compliment, right? You keep going with those compliments. Man. I like that. <laughs> Just a daily dose of like, oh, Steve, you are, you're ripped, you're a beast, you're a Hulk. Yeah, baby. <laughs> well, that's the, th- I, the thing is, I recognize all of that, you know? I'm, I'm, in, I'm in tune to it because I listen to- You're how, awesome, man. I listen to how people talk about themselves, right? And I want, and, and, and if I can help you in any way, shape, or form- do what I've done, right? I used to beat myself up on a daily, but just beat myself up. You know, I was either the the giant of my dreams or the dwarf of my nightmares, just this egomaniac with an inferiority complex and just living in that, you know, cycle of, of, of self-obsession. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and then one day you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, I'm one of God's children and you're one of God's children. And you know what? We're going to help other God's children. And that's it. End of story. Yes. Right? And and, right and and so here we are and we are present. We are present. That's right. <laughs> All right, I said man. it better myself. <laughs> All right. So before we dive into the closing questions, uh, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners I love you guys. Um, <laughs> I love you all. Now, I, I just want to say, you know, I, I, don't, I hope I don't. I don't think they'll mind, but you know, Jude and Craig and uh, just so many others in, in the, the share group. Just thank you for what you do. I just want to say, I love you guys. Um, second, uh, you mentioned that yet yeah, twelve steps is not the only pathway of recovery, and that's something a new part of the journey of my life in this last summer and fall, and with you here now. Oh, is that? The whole idea of serene and sober, if I could just break that down for a minute. Yeah. The serene and sober mission, well, the short line, the tagline is self-improvement for sober people, but it's all based on a concept um, that I come up with for myself to scratch my own itch, which is called 3D sobriety, three-dimensional sobriety. It's based on three Ps of program, personal development, and purpose. And this is what I produce in my videos and my blog and in the book that I'm writing. It's called Sobered Up. So now what um, working title, um, how to stay sober and succeed. A lot. I don't have a title set yet, but essentially the three P's of program, which my first, it's the advice that I'll give the newcomer later, but I'll just say now is get with a program, not the program. So the whole idea about program, yes, I do have a lot of knowledge and experience with the 12 steps. Um, which are timeless spiritual principles across all that 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 solve all problems generally in life. And I'm not promoting them, but I do have experience with them, and I do write about things in the program. Um, uh, other things like smart and whatever works for you. The high, whole idea that I promote at, at Serene Sober and that I see you as well doing is get with something a program. And just like exercise, you're not gonna if you have no experience, you're not just gonna come up with a, a plan, you have, you got to go research, you got to hold on to something. And as you evolve, uh, then you can evolve with the program or you can start your own. And personal development, obviously, it's similar to what you got cooking up and share space, right? You're Correct. really going into this, um, you know, into the body, the mind and spirit, this sort of holistic approach to recovery. And finally, purpose. Um, like Eckhart told he refers to purpose to, as both internal and external. So, I mean, all of us, our purpose is to be here at this moment, to yes. be present mm-hmm. and just to be whatever that, that, how we label it. But, and then the external, the, the life design. And I mean, you can see behind me here, I got my whole life on a board right here. It's on my springboard. 
I call it a springboard, but um, it's where I organize all my my you know personal development stuff. And so I'm excited just to to really have this sort of holistic, this 3D approach, um, just sort of a cute way to to package it. But um, 3D sobriety, that's how I, uh, beyond 12 steps, have been able to not just stay sober, but um, to really, really just suck the marrow out of life and to be present and to enjoy every moment. Yes. That's what Serena Sober is about. I love that, man. Sucking the marrow out of life. Right, Suck in the marrow. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I'm hungry, so I get that's marrow bones. bones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's we'll close up. We'll close up. All right. So, uh, Steve, uh, the way I like to close up is for the newcomer. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and I want you to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Fear. Uh, e- ego and in one of its many tentacles, fear, right? Uh, fear of many things. One was because I was so attached to the identity as someone who does drink and party. I was afraid to to live and with the prospect of not having another drink for the rest of my life. How would I? How would I attend a, a party? How would I survive a uh, dinner with my in-laws? God bless them, but they are just different breed of people. <laughs> um, they're just, they're, I'll just say this. They're not present or connected. So that's, that's just what I'll say. And um, it was also Omar Zafir as a very A-type and very driven person who did well in school. I was also afraid of reaching my potential. Mm. Drinking was a great form of self-sabotage mm-hmm. to, yes. to romantically you know, have those, I'm gonna, you know, I'd always make lists and shit when I got drunk, I'd make a list of like, all right. And so, all right. All right. So next Tuesday, start blog, start um, money up. And then you just, you know, turn into just nothing, but it was a fear of reaching my true potential. Cause I know what, if I stopped, there was no excuses. Now I, I really had to, to, um, to get into this and to do my best. So it was fear in many forms. One of the many forms of ego. Yeah, I love that. I love that. As a matter of fact, uh, the whole idea of, you know, what is my identity, right? And that is such a big question for everybody. And then you have reaching my potential, fear of success, because then I got to maintain it. Yes. You know, and we don't even even realize that we're just terrified of our own potential. It's... It's, yeah. it's just it's baffling, but you know, that's where us coaches come in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rock on, man. You, you're doing it. <laughs> All right. So at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery where you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time have developed the hope that you could recover? The summer of 2014, as I mentioned, I started working the steps during my step four inventory. The urge to serve outweighed the urge to to drink. And drink itself, the obsession was lifted. Uh, some people call that recovered, but essentially it was it was just lifted. The urge to serve, oh. So I developed the hope that I could recover, oh, because I wanted to start a meeting. Like I, and I was one of those annoying newcomers like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start it. Yeah, okay, tradition's okay. Okay, can I? Is that okay? And then uh, you know, just Really gung ho, and 
and I, they, you know, the old timers settled me down and that was cool. And when I could not work with others, there was one day, there was actually this really strange story. It's not even related to, to alcohol or anything, but it was when I really developed the hope that I was going to be okay. The urge to serve, right? So one of my former students, she had a baby. She messaged me, she sent me a picture like, hey, here's my new baby. Oh, a long time no see. Um, and I'm without thinking, I text her, say, I'm going to bring over some uh, baby clothing things that we have, extra ones that are hardly used. And she's like, okay. So I find myself... You know, I don't drive here. I still don't have a license. I just get a, I get around on a rickshaw. I'm joking. I just sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> fucking rickshaw. But uh, um, it's really convenient just to, I mean, it's, it's really convenient. I'm probably getting my license uh, uh, this summer or whatever, God willing. But um, so I'm, I find myself on a bike with a bunch of baby goods and I'm, I'm going to this girl's house to, to deliver them. And I feel great. In my drinking days, or when I even when I wasn't drinking, I was just not into this. I would never take three hours out of my day to drive out to the or ride out to the country with a bunch of baby goods. And that's when I felt the hope. It's just like to serve, you know. I was talking to drunk homeless people in the park. They they wouldn't hear me, but I, I just needed to hear myself. <laughs> you know, and and that was truly hopeful having that urge to serve just overwhelm me. And I know you, you've expressed that as well, right? Absolutely. I've heard you talk about that service and everything. Denzel Washington says that, uh, being of what service and helping others is the most selfish thing that anyone could ever do. Yeah. Yes. Because you get so much out of it. Yes. Right. And, and those of us that have been of service who have helped others, who have who have been community leaders, right, or or are currently community leaders, and 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 are in the forefront helping others. You know that euphoric feeling that comes from knowing you just help somebody, and there's yes. no and there's no agenda, there's no agenda, and everybody leaves full, right? It's yeah. it's a beautiful expression of love. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's the Gandhi quote, I believe, but it's beautiful. I mean, Denzel and Gandhi. I mean, all these quotes just really sum it up. And the, the book itself tells us there's no better defense against that first drink or drug than comprehensive work or intensive work with another. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are no truer words, my brother. All right. So do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, sometimes you ask for the newcomer, but if it's for a newcomer, Miracle Morning, Hal Elrod. Love it. Love right? it. Obviously, guys, like guys listening, like obviously you got recovery, whatever program you're part of related literature, you know, you want to stick to the program, whatever program you're in. But when I was in, you know, even when I was drinking, I, I was reading the miracle morning. It was a great way. You heard my morning routine. It's sort of based on all of those things that he goes through. It's great for newcomer. Cause it's, cause you're, you know, you're, you might be a fried pie. You might be sort of, you know, not really into a big thick book, like the power of now, um, so the miracle morning is a great start for anybody ag yes, addict or not. Yes. Yes. Um, if you are more, um, advanced or have long-term sobriety and you're looking to hit the refresh button and you want to get more into this conscious presence thing, I recommend either the power of now or his more recent, uh, Eckhart Tolle book, the a new earth, which sort of goes into deeper detail, how to apply the power of now. Or you can just use my little acronym, AWAKE. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, Miracle Morning, um, The Power of Now, A New Earth. These are some great body, mind, spirit, spiritual texts. Beautiful, beautiful. And so if our listeners want to reach out to you and, and connect with you or join your group, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, number one, to check out my content, just to see if you really enjoy, want to learn more about what you heard here, sereneandsober.com. That's all one word, sereneandsober.com is where my, my articles, my blog posts live. There is nothing exciting going on there. I need a web developer. So if anybody wants to reach out, uh, dude, I am just about the creation, the artistic side. I just have a button that says click here for more or whatever. Um, and, but if you really want to get direct access and interact with me daily, then join our private Facebook group. We are small, but we are strong. It's the serene and sober private Facebook group. Just request. And then some, some I'll add you or somebody will add you. Uh, and then I have bite-sized snacks on Twitter. I do little Periscope live sometimes, a little Twitter tweet about at, Steve, uh, at Stephen Galatioto. So uh, I'll send you whatever information you want. Also, oh, for the uh, that acronym AWAKE, later I can send you a link to the uh, blog post if, you, if you'd like. Email me all that information so I can list it on your show notes on, sh- on, the, uh, on the website. For sure. Okay, so I'll have that for you guys. Just go ahead and go to the show notes. All of Steve's information will be listed. All right, so Steve, number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Previously mentioned, um, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Service, service. So wherever you are uh, in your recovery, uh, find a way to to help. If there's nothing recovery-related, do something every day. Uh, to be of service to your community, the most powerful way is to do one act of random, like random act of kindness for a stranger and better if they don't even know about it. So every morning I carry a plastic bag in my jacket pocket or my pocket when I walk my daughter to school. And if it's not too funky, we pick up the trash and put it into the little bag. And I know not only model to her, uh, you know, good being a good citizen, just basics, but it's just another thing to keep me out of my own fucking head. Mm-hmm. So you serve to get rid of that urge. That's all you got to do. There's no better defense and there's no better life. Beautiful. I love it. That's a great one. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Community service. Yes. So uh, number five, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be? Get with a program. Mm. As I mentioned before, it's hard enough staying sober. It's hard enough trying to get this monkey off your back and all the people and the wreckage around you. It's going to be really hard. Just lean into a group, to somebody around you, whether it's online, with a share, with, uh, you know, somewhere in your community. Get with a program. Work it. You'll evolve. And then you'll, like me, and like, oh, you'll create and carve your own pathways and that's the, the true, that's the truth. Just get with the program. A program, not the program. Get with the program. You'll be okay. The more times we can say that, right? There isn't enough, there isn't enough of that phrase, you know, get with a program, you know? Yeah. If you're overweight and you want to lose weight, get with a program, sure. right? Yeah. There's a th- there's thousands of them, right? And now with so many different pathways, so many online movements, so many community outreach programs that you can connect yourself with, right? Um, we're a testament to that, right? This is where we spend so much of our time is being of service 
on the internet, right? Because there's so many people that, you know, are working six days a week or they're working odd hours or they can't get to meetings or, you know, they've got kids and they're at home most of the time. So they can do one of two things. They can, you know, sneak the drinks while the kids are sleeping, but they're still at home, right? Or they can get involved in a community online, which is what we've what we've done. So, you know, get with a program. Thank you, Stephen. Definitely, definitely. All right, bro. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was my pleasure. Oh, this is really fun, dude. You killed it, man. See? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I love you, man. You're you're. I just you're like a bigger brother. You know, I'm just like, oh, he's like my bigger brother. You know, <laughs> he's like everybody's big brother. <laughs> Not an uncle. You're a bigger brother. You know, <laughs> uncle, brother, it's all. I'm 47 years old. I've made, I, I, I've made peace with my age. I'm a brother. I'm an uncle. I'm an all of it. I'm a friend. <laughs> yeah, midnight toker. <laughs> midnight toker. <laughs> yeah, there's that infectious laugh that I fell in love with, man. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, so we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, pura vida. Pura vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.